with Laney Lou and the Bird Dogs playing us in. I'm Luke. I'm Mike. And I'm Brent. And we are the Montana Mint Grizz Fan Podcast. That's right. <laughs> We're still Grizz fans, right? Yes. We are. <laughs> oh, God. So, <laughs> we've just spent the last 25 minutes going over the blows cathartically before we decided, let's turn this on and start recording. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... Just jumping right into the Grizz game recap, um, Grizz had a very tough day. They had a tough fourth quarter. I mean, it was a tough day, but I mean, they had a great first half. In the I'm third gonna... quarter, they it was eh, but they were still leading into the fourth. Uh, you know, three of their four mm-hmm. losses, they've been leading in the fourth quarter. Yep. It's like heartbreaking. So the first half, it felt like a, the tale of two halves, you've heard people say. Watching the first half, we were in... UC Davis's head, oh, and yeah. it gave me. That's something that really set me up for disappointment down the road. <laughs> is we were playing really well, and we were in their heads. They were losing composure, and I thought this is exactly what we predicted. This is what we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. Is trap game for UC Davis? Yeah, no, I mean I kind of was thinking the same thing. Like it was one of the things. Like for the Grizz to win, this needs to happen. And in the first half, like my God. I, I don't think I've ever seen as many false start penalties as UC Davis had in the first half, even in a tough environment like here. So it's like they were all over it. And it's like it was one of those things, and, and Brent and I were texting a little bit during the game, and it was like you could feel it, but you were also a little bit uneasy because it was one of those games where we talked about you can't leave points on the field. And we left way too many points on the field in the first half. I mean, we missed a field goal, was it, in the first half? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sneak through an interception. There were another couple drives where we probably should have gotten some points. So it's like, yeah, and it was great. Since pick was down. It was on like the five-yard line. On the five-yard <laughs> line. So not only do we miss a field goal, we take at least three off the board with that pick. I think that uh, it was you, Luke, who I kind of was giving him the benefit of the doubt. And I was like, maybe he didn't see him in the shadows, but that was terrible. <laughs> you know, like what the hell happened? Because there's just no excuse for that pick. Like it was bad. And Luke was like, they're fucking wearing all white. <laughs> that was frustrating. <laughs> but that first half, I mean, it was it was crazy because it was – it felt like you'd reset the season. It felt like we were watching the first half of the Northern Iowa game where it was – the Grizz were – like defensively, they were getting after it. They were, they were pressuring the quarterback. They were – I mean, the stadium and the team was definitely in Davis's heads. I mean, coach gets a personal foul. Uh, you know, it was like they they we were we had him exactly where we wanted him, and you could you could feel. And again, it was we're sitting there at halftime, and it's twenty one to three. You know, this felt just like Eastern Washington last year. And I went back and I looked, and Eastern Washington last year we were up twenty four to six. So it was like the same uh, margin. Yeah. My dad was saying, like, <laughs> "We've seen this. We've seen this before." <laughs> Did you tweet that out? Or did you send yeah. it on text? No, I did, I tweeted it where basically because it's it's like this comparison. You know, last year everyone looked back at that Eastern Washington game. It was like that was the turning point of the undoing of the season. Where we're maybe beyond that at this point, but you know, it's like it, put yourself in a similar situation of a good lead against a team that's better than you uh, at home. Uh, how are you going to maintain in the second half? Man, you know, and so many good things happened in the first half. Like, oh, my gosh. It was almost like the coaches listened to our podcast and started doing something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but they did. They were using multiple tight ends, which I will say, like, if I think that 
I haven't been as impressed as the season's gone on with the variety of our offense. And I think some of that might just be we're hamstrung a little bit by some of our in our inadequacies. You know, we're not as strong at some positions we should be, mainly O-line for starters. Mm-hmm. But one of the best things that I think that, that Rosie and Pease have introduced is this three tight end sets because we've got such athletes at those positions because they were, you know, three of the 35 wide receivers on the roster. Actually, I think there weren't the, wasn't both Deming and Resvold DNs? Uh, I can't remember Dem- now. One, the twin. Well, he wasn't even. He, I can't remember now. I feel like one of them, Rensvold, maybe was a defensive end, and then yeah, I can't could remember be now. But yeah, so but I mean, you look at that. I mean, Rensvold had a huge catch on a third down to contest the catch, and Deming had that deep. What was it like a forty or a thirty-five yard catch wide open? I mean, one of Snead's easier long connections. But those of the guys, season. those guys are both freshmen. Yeah, you pair them with Bingham. And it's like, those two freshmen, it's like we're looking for bright spots to build Bobby for the next four years. And it's like, oh yeah, we've got some good tight ends, which is saying something for a position that did exist. Another bright spot that we have to mention is Samuel Lekem. He was awesome this game. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, he had two touchdowns in the first half, caught another big ball. I mean, he, he just, he has responded to Pease, I think. Oh, yeah. In a way that maybe other people, we haven't seen some of the other guys. But he is, you know, he has made some plays. And I think he went over 100 yards. He was... uh, Mm, Don't think uh, so. No, nine Mm. catches, 75 yards, two touchdowns. Sorry. But his growth is so apparent. We haven't seen similar jumps from really too many more people on the team. Well, so this was an interesting look at numbers that I... I, Because I I wanted to see, of course, this three-game lose streak has just been shit. Like, no one likes it. But... Uh, Akem has been out of his mind these three games. So in these three games, he's had 18 catches, 211 yards, and four touchdowns. Um, that is more than Jerry Louis McGee, Samari Torre, and Keenan Curran combined. So Akem is doing it like, you know, that's like, because that's like our four dudes at receiver, since we don't throw salt through the ball. And it's just, you know, one end around a game, and then we, you know, Yank him. That's on my notes to talk about. I know. I, just, I don't understand. But so, but yeah, Akem is like, and uh, he has eight receiving touchdowns right now. Um, and I, I wasn't able to like really get into every roster, but on the Big Sky compiled stats, that's that's number one. Yeah, I mean, it's like I think he's earned himself into some sort of all-conference discussion. Not first team, not second team, but second, maybe honorable mention. Maybe second or third. Yeah, we're a big conference. Yeah, maybe probably an honorable But it's like that's a lot of touchdowns. I mean, good for him. You know, so it's like that's another bright spot. Torrey, I think, is still really great. Um, he struggled a little bit. You know, when Cam Humphreys came in, not to foreshadow, but, you know, we were losing by a lot, and Cam Humphreys came in in the fourth quarter. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> He threw a nice deep ball to Torre that I kind of felt like Torre didn't fight for enough, which is one thing if there's criticism of the receivers this year outside of a chem, it's come, they're not as physical. It's like they're getting checked on the line and they're not beating their guys. So I don't know what that's all about other than, yeah, the ball's not getting thrown to him consistently down the field, but still. Yeah. I think it's easier to check the receivers at the line when you – know the quarterback is unlikely yep. to hit a spot downfield. Yep, and that's exactly why some of the bubble screens and wide receiver screens that were working earlier in the season aren't mm-hmm. anymore. But it amazes me that we haven't figured out like a quick double move or if the receivers, if the cornerbacks are going to be checking the receivers, 
why aren't we winning really quick slants? You know, like there's a little bit of, even with our deficiencies, there's some play calling that I'm a little bit confused by, oh, but yeah. I've also never been a college offensive coordinator, so I could be wrong. Yeah. You're pretty good in Madden 11. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you look at that first half, and it, it just it felt like with the offense, they were pulling out all the stops. I mean, you had, you had multiple receivers with carries. You had tight ends catching passes. You, and uh, a cam going up and getting fade throws. And, and then uh, Calhoun starts the game at running back, his first, first start, start all year. at running back. And... Does great. His rushing touchdown he had was amazing. Yep. And had a couple other carrying the pile, just doing kind of what we know he can do. And so it, it just it, it looked like things were coming together. And it was it was a it was a real fun first half. What do you think plays into it's gotta be this has to be something bigger than momentum, but what plays into the way a team can completely have a second half? as asymmetric as they do a first half for both teams. I mean, what is it about UC Davis that made them throw down the throttle, and what is it about the Grizzlies that really stops them from carrying all of the momentum they had into the third quarter? Well, I think this is where I get a little bit frustrated with the coaching, and I feel like that's not necessarily fair because there are deficiencies, and it's like it all starts in the trenches, and we're, we're not getting great blocking in huge stretches from our O-line, and our D-line's not getting any pressure. So it's like those two things are real, but it's like those problems, I mean, that it's the same old line in the first half to the second half, yeah. and I understand that coaches make adjustments, but where are ours? So it's like in the first half we were doing all these multiple tight end sets and moving the ball around and stuff like that, and, um, you know, I listened to the the football hour on Tutel and Nuanez on ESPN this afternoon, and they talked about how in the second half they – they shifted and they took away the middle. And it's like my response to that is twofold. One, they're taking away the middle because they know we don't have a consistently deep passing game because they know it's not a threat. Um, so they're kind of spying on Sneed. But the other thing is, and the thing that I just don't completely understand is, in the first half of these games, we'll do these end arounds or jet sweeps or fly sweeps, whatever the hell you want to call it, to Solcer. Maybe Louis McGee, but Solcer seems to be better at it. And then we never call them again. And it's like if they're stacked in the middle and the cornerbacks are up on the line of scrimmage and then they're following the receivers, it seems like running that two or three times each half, if nothing else and to keep them honest, would make sense to me, even if our O-line's not blocking. But I don't know. There's got to be a buffet of choices. Like... Uh, offensive coordinator for dummies. Like, how do you stretch out the defense? Mm-hmm. How do you pull defenders from the middle out to the sides? Yeah. And we don't see... I mean, I'm not intelligent enough to see what we're doing to stretch out the defense, but it's also possible that we're not trying enough. So this is the other thing, and this is maybe the more controversial take to me, but it's like, we went Bobby Ball in the second half. It's like, you can say that they took away our... Tight end sets, but that the play calling was not the same, the tempo was not the same, and that drives me nuts. Define Bobby Ball for people who maybe aren't familiar with his first stint here. So Bobby Ball is similar to Marty Schottenheimer, Marty Ball in the NFL. 
Um, so you didn't get one obscure reference. So maybe you'll get the second one. But basically, you build teams with kick-ass defenses that are tougher than everybody. You get a lead in the first half, and then you play not to make mistakes in the second half, so you don't take chances on offense, and you get your defense to win it. You know, that worked almost all the time for Bobby the first time he was here, except like in the championship against Villanova. But we definitely... It's not working this time. And it's like, I know it's not that simple. So before, you know, message board trolls tear me apart for being so simplistic. Um, the reality is that there's a lot more to it than that. But it doesn't make sense to me. And Brent, I'm not going to put you in a position where you've got to bash any coaches or anything like that. No. Because I'm not bashing anybody. But I just, it seemed like we thought we could go conservative and our defense was going to hold them. And God bless our defense. But it's like... You're asking way too much of our defense. Absolutely. And, and we brought this up last week where we said, I think, didn't we talk about this? Where it was basically like, I can see us getting a lead. And then this challenge of what this coaching staff wants to do is that. Run the ball. Slow it down. Limit Davis's possessions to four or five total touches in the second half. And if they score twice and punt three times, then we'll win the game 21-17, or maybe we'll kick another field goal and beat them 24-17 and get out of here and feel great. But then it was like suddenly like we stopped them once in the, in the start of the second half, and then the next time we stopped them, we were down by a bigger margin than we've ever been down by in Washington Grizzly Stadium. So. And I was going to say, that's, we should, let's just say it because it is what it is. That is the worst loss in the history of Washington Grizzly Stadium. Yeah. The worst loss. And the first time we've lost three in a row since 1992. I was 12. I was younger than that. Yes. <laughs> I'm the old man of the podcast. I, I, I'll admit that. It seems like we can't expect to hold the door against a team like UC Davis with the potent offenses they have. I was so impressed with their quarterback, uh, Jake Meyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he is clearly the best quarterback we've seen all year long. If Jake Meyer, I can't imagine. Now, I, I think Jake Meyer is the biggest guy MVP. He's got to be. Right? His throws, I mean, just his, I mean, he, he had a bad first half. Like, he was just, but he just rebounded and then just blew the doors off. And everyone. credit Hauk and the defensive staff for their game plan in the first half. Absolutely. It, it was amazing. Yeah. He wasn't rattled. He's super composed in the pocket. He felt pressure. When it came, floated out of the pocket, made throws on the run. He was only sacked twice the whole game. He was so impressive to me that it just seems foolhardy to assume that you can play this bobby ball for an entire half against an offense as good as this one. Well, and again, like Mike pointed out, it used to work. Obviously, the goal is that it could work again. But again, you look at this defense and your starting two corners were came in as wide receivers. You've got kind of a mishmash of safeties, one being a, a freshman uh, with Robbie, right? Redshirt freshman. And then you add in the, the pressure side of the D-line. It's just everything that's going on. You've, you've got a, and a new defensive design this year as compared to what we had last year with Seymour. So it's it's growing pains, and it's just it's unfortunate that it just – it was obvious that it changed, and it changed to attempt to slow it down a little bit. And I think the big turning point was that fourth and one where suddenly we go tempo, and uh, you give the ball to Elijah Lee, who's – I mean, and it's like we can see. God bless the, the guy. I mean, like, he's, he's your he's your pass catcher. He's your out in space guy, which this offense doesn't really have. So, and and uh, someone pointed out to me, you know, this was post Eastwood going out, getting nicked up, and this is potentially post Calhoun having yeah, to take a, a few breather. plays later. So it's just like 
well, he's the guy. You got to do the job. And it's handoff, and he's met two yards behind the line of scrimmage. And it was like that point, I think that was where then Davis went down and got within seven. And then They did the trick just, play on the next play. The trick right? play, I think it was. Yeah. I can't, yeah. But, so let's talk about that fourth and one for a second if we can. Yeah. Um, it's frustrating because it, it's ironic because one of my gripes in the second half is we went tempo a lot the first half and it worked for us. And then all of a sudden we started milking the entire play clock and we weren't the same rhythm. So it's like that had nothing to do with what UC Davis took away from us or adjusted. Like we changed our style. But then all of a sudden it's like a fourth and one. Let's rush up and try and catch them, you know, when they're not ready. But we've seen that happen too many times this year. We don't have the chops to do it. So I don't understand why if, if, if Sneed is playing – because he is mobile, and he's the guy that can be behind the old line And at this point, clearly the coaches are okay with him running because they let him go. And he took some vicious hits. Like, yeah. that dude, like, I like I know I, I pick on his passing a little bit, but my God, I don't know that there have been that many tougher guys to play for us. Agreed. Like, yeah. he is taking a beating, and he's clearly a leader. Why the hell don't we have a fucking fourth and one Dalton Sneed, Gabe Solcer option play? I mean, both of them are faster around the end than anybody else. And hell, put, put Jerry Lou McGee on the other side to make them think it could go either way. But it's like you can't do any worse. If it's fourth down, you stop in the backfield, you turn the ball over, but we're not getting fourth and short anyway. It's like I feel like we are who we are at this point, and we know it, but we could be more creative in certain aspects and maybe still be competing. It's like to Brent's point, it's like, the system and the stuff they're building towards has worked here before and it will work again. But it's like you also know the roster you took over. And it feels like I think in the games where our offense has looked the best, it's when they're running tempo. So why don't we just stop playing around and just acknowledge that we are still a tempo team? It can be run from under center. You can do different things, but we're a tempo team and let's just go for it. Like I don't completely understand why we why we don't. So I don't. I'm not saying I agree with this counterpoint entirely, but if you're going to build for it, if this yeah, year's the foundation, it. just start to build that expectation. Mm-hmm. So that that could that could be the counter argument that you could say is like, if we're going to come out here and basically run Bob Stitt's offense again, what the hell are we even going to like? Then we're going to have to reinstall everything next year. Might as well just start building. But I don't think we're running Bob Stitt's offense no, right no, no, now. No, we're not. No, no we're you're not. you're right. But, like, my argument to that would be run the plays you want to play. Just run them fast. (laughs) Like, you know, because they they do well. Yeah. And it's like we've got athletes. Mm -hmm. We've got Sulcer. I mean, our receivers, whatever their uneven performance is, they're athletes. So it's just like sometimes it feels like we forget who is on the roster right now. And I I definitely – you make a valid point, Brent. Like – if long-term your goal is to run something, then we should be working on it. But there's no reason you can't do both. And if we're not going to win, I just want to be more competitive. Like, look, we were talking before this, and it's like, if you had told me coming into the season we're going to lose to North Dakota and Davis, I'd be like, yeah, that's a real possibility. So it's not so much that we didn't beat either of these teams. It's just how we lost. Mm-hmm. Like, looking completely overmatched, which I don't buy. It's like, I don't think the roster's as talented as the diehards want to believe it is, but I don't think it's as untalented as our last three weeks have been. No, no, I would agree with that completely, yeah. This might be a little too reductive, but we lost the turnover battle. 
Again. I guess we did. Britain had a good point, though. It was, like, different than we've lost the turnover battle in yeah, the last so, couple of weeks. I mean, you look, at, you look at the other games where, like, Portland State and uh, North Dakota, like, we just gave it away right out the gate. Like, here, 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 score all these points. And this one, it was at the end. It basically shut the door on a comeback, basically. Yeah. I mean, it was tough to say if we were going to really do it, but instead of giving our opponent the lead, it took away any ability for us to do anything at the end. So at least we're saving our turnovers for the end now instead of the beginning. <laughs> um, Being a smart ass. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple positives. I mean, Jeremy Calhoun started, and, and I think he looked as good as any running back has looked for us all year. Yep. Um, it's so clear to me that he's the best running back on the roster. I understand he was suspended. He missed the first three games, not the first two. Um, then he got hurt. So it's like, I, I get it. But it just, it amazes me that we haven't seen him more in, like, crucial situations. And another observation, and, and you guys you guys might have a different take than me, but you know in basketball sometimes they'll have, like, a play card and they'll, like, have set minutes and it really won't matter. Some coaches won't matter what the flow of the game is. Like, it's like Steph Curry's going to play the first 26 minutes and then we're going to rest him for two. So Calhoun... I just feel like he's an example of this predetermined rotation. And it's like we will play Eastwood the first two or three series, and then it's Calhoun's series. And obviously it changed this week. Um, but where I notice it even more is the receivers. And I get that we've got a lot of wide receiver talent. You need to rotate those guys. And most good coaches in college anymore are rotating everybody. So that's not what I'm saying. But it's like there is never a time that Sammy Akem should not be on the field when we are in the 30 or closer to an opponent's end zone. Ever, right? Oh, I agree. Unless if he's hurt, dinged up, or okay. just gassed. And that first Sneed pick in the first half, mm-hmm. he wasn't on the field. He wasn't now, on the field. Now, I, I didn't go back and watch. I didn't. Maybe he played like the, for the first six plays before. And he might have. You know, took a helmet on a quad and he was feeling you know, some pain or something. I don't know. I have no clue. But it was like, he came out there... And it was your best target all over the field. And he's not, he's not even there. You can give D coordinators a lot to think about when you have a six foot three, six foot four. Yeah. Sammy and Kim isolated on one side and then maybe like a Sulcer sweeping around the other end. Uh-huh. And we don't do any of that. No, it's like we don't give – and it's like, you know, I don't care. And it's like Eastwood, let's say they're, they've got a great drive and then we get inside the tent. Well, I'm sorry. Let's do what the Steelers used to do with Jerome Bettis at the end of his career. Put in Calhoun, yeah. right? I mean, it just like it, it feels like sometimes the rotation is based more on just like everybody getting their fair reps, which I get. I mean, being coach is hard, but it's. It, I just feel like they haven't done a great job of taking advantage of matchups in the rare occasions that we've had the opportunity to do it. I mean, um, this is an intramural, so we shouldn't be worried about reps. <laughs> Bobby, uh, it's not T-ball. Bobby played uh, that clip of Hawkins melting down at QB Club. Um, Bobby really likes Dan Hawkins, yeah, from yeah, what I can it's gather. It's pretty apparent, yeah. Um, and I will say that Bobby gave Meyer, the quarterback, the biggest compliment I've heard him give any opposing player this year. Yeah. Like, he showed this throw where Meyer was thrown into their NFL uh, draft prospect, Doss. Doss. And he was just like, there is absolutely no reason to throw this ball. This guy's defended. It's triple covered. Triple covered. No quarterback can make this throw. 
And then he's like, but watch this. Meyer makes this perfect throw. Doss makes this perfect catch. And he's just like, this is who these guys are. Yeah. And one, one thing about just coaches talking about the other teams and players, I saw that the UC Davis coach said that they weren't concerned about the noise at Washington Grizzly Stadium. And they said, well, there's no way it'll be louder than Stanford. I was kind of wondering why Bobby wouldn't get that quote and just like, or have the um, the marketing staff of the Put, yeah of the Grizzlies just just Bobby just sitting in his office. He reads the quote, puts it down, and looks into the camera and says, "Oh, you think so?" And we just play it on the Grizz Vision to get the whole fucking stadium amped up. That would have been awesome. Like, Wouldn't that be great? You need to give that uh, idea to your connections sooner because that would be awesome. So. I'm sorry. You can't do that. We have raised a little hell, and that's all we'll ever need. <laughs> <laughs> and we did play Cotton Eye Joe way too early. Cotton Eye Joe. Oh, man. Uh, so you were talking about some good things. Yeah. Gavin Robertson was actually a present. He had a great sack. He had a good sack. He had eight tackles. And it was like, he was a guy. I remember when he came in, because he was a, like, what, Arizona State or somebody? One of the Arizona two. One went to two. school with Gresh Johnson. Wanted him to play linebacker. And he wanted to stay safety, so he came down to us, and so this is like, oh, this is great. This is going to solve. And then Robbie takes the job from him in spring, mm-hmm. and then Reed Miller comes in, and, and, and it was doing great as well. And this was the first game that I actually like noticed, because Rob- Robertson yep. played a lot in the UNI game, and it gave way to Miller through the game because he got beat a couple times. And we haven't really seen him since, and he had a great damn game, um, at least from what I observed. I didn't go back and watch all his coverages. Maybe, you know, when UC Davis started pouring it on, maybe there was some stuff there. But just to see him out there making some plays, doing some stuff, because in that safety core, Reed's the, Reed Miller's the one guy we lose, and we're going to need that type of game from Robertson more often. Yeah, I mean, it's so. like, it seems like he could fit right into that spot and do well, You'd help. in theory. You know, Robbie's getting beat a little bit, but I think we need to remember, like, Robertson's a sophomore and Robbie is a freshman. Like, we've got guys who are really young playing all over the field. So it's like if half of those guys can make great progression, as you might expect from freshman to sophomore year with all that playing time, and we can get some new recruits behind some of the other ones, it's like there's reason to be optimistic. And it's like you look back and it's like Portland State hasn't lost since they played us. Right. You know, maybe we just got exposed by a better stretch of teams. I mean, you know, that would, that would seem like, it still feels like we should have beat Portland State. We should have beat Portland State. There's no excuse. We were the better team in that game. I mean, I felt like we should have been the better team on the field that game. These last two, North Dakota and UC Davis are better than us. Like that, I mean, you can, you can like pick the whole thing apart. Like, oh, if this didn't happen or if we had Bobby on the big screen TV telling us to stand up. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) but it's just like, End of the day, both these teams are better than us. I mean, and it just it sucks to say that because I think as Grizz fans, you're not used to it. it you're not used to it. It used to. I mean, under like mostly the Delaney and Stitt years, it was just like okay, Eastern Washington's better than us, maybe NAU, but like we're right up there, we're close, and now it's like we're somewhere in the middle, and it's just eh, it it sucks. Before we move on um, from high notes, I really love the way Jace Lewis played this year. You mentioned him in your Egris write up, Brent, and I feel like buying Jace Lewis stock at this point is like a little late in the game. If you're a Grizz fan, you know his name and you know he's 
really ready to step up into a, a role next year. But he had an outstanding game, I thought. He did. He had a he had a sack or a tackle for a loss that stopped a drive. He like you look at the graduating class, and of course I think the biggest loss is Josh Buss. And it's great to see Jace playing as a backup that rotates a bunch at the level he's at, because it's gonna make that transition much easier. Yeah, it's nice to say the best player we're graduating, we feel confident in his replacement. Yeah. Um, especially playing alongside Olsen. Like, that's going to be great. Yeah. You know, and, and another positive, and, and we'll talk about the negative side of this in a minute, but we have been winning in the fourth quarter of three of our four losses. Yeah. So it's like for all of these struggles and for all of this, like the O-line is getting manhandled and coaching and whatever you want to say, you know, the passing game not being what we think it should be, it's like we were still winning in three of our four losses in the fourth quarter. So it's like that we just need to learn and grow and figure out how to finish these games. And that, that's really a big thing that gives me hope because you look at, I mean, just the learning experience of this game. And, like, if this was a team that had 20 seniors on it and, you know, 15 of the 20 were starters, I'd be just sick because it's like we got so many guys with so much experience in their last year that are starters and are main contributors. And we are just – they have just completely, like – this is all gone past them because of these type of errors. But it's like we're talking about freshmen and sophomores and juniors in a def- right now an offense that has, depending on the week, one senior starting on it. And a defense that, in some situations, you have the backups out playing the starters, and you know, in some given spot points. So it's like there's a lot of things where you can look at this, and you hate to kind of just suggest almost it's a build year, but it would seem to think like. These things, hopefully, they can learn from, build on, and improve on. Now, there's some stuff that I think we're going to get into where there's some concerns about mm-hmm. what we have. And we've mentioned offensive line a little bit. Yeah, I'm working on being positive <laughs> in these things. So you so. guys give me the word when I can start being negative. <laughs> well, the offensive line that we have today is young. And we really didn't project a year ago a year from today, to have this offensive line because we've lost some people. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you make a great point, Luke. Like, we knew last year when you talk about recruiting and stuff like that that we're going to have a young offensive line. But what's interesting is three of the guys that you would have said are starters last year on this O-line either retired or are out for the year. Thane Jackson retired. Uh, Scott appears to be out for the year. He's still on the sidelines. Hart towards ACL and camp. I mean, that's three of the five guys who were supposed to be starters on this already thin old line. Who knows? I mean, I I just think that people probably need to acknowledge that it is a historically inexperienced offensive line for the University of Montana. Probably ever. I mean, of modern Grizz history, most likely. Yep, and we're seeing it. (laughs) <laughs> if, the co- if the coaches could parody their situation without being like too offensive, I think they could recreate that scene from Apollo 13 where like the O2 scrubber broke and you know all of the engineers are standing around a table and they're wearing like the horn room glasses and like the skinny ties and you know it has that very like 60s look. Was this in the 60s? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the head engineer just dumps a box of parts onto the table, and they're like, "All right, we got to. This is what they have, and we've got to solve this problem 
with what they have up there. Like, so go to work. And like, I kind of feel like that could be a parody scene of the coaching staff roasting the players or something, right? Like, I feel like they're just kind of doing the best they can, they can with the parts they have left over. So we need Gary Sinise to come in and figure it all out. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I think you're right. And it's like we, we you know, we don't, we don't pick on players a whole lot. But it's like there's definitely, if you look at the O-line and you watch it, it's like there are times where guys are just getting beat. And our, our tackles are, are inexperienced and, and they're struggling. Um, our guard play seems to be a smidge better, but still. You know, Meyer's been banged up, so when Meyer's not in, center's, you know, not awesome. But it's interesting to see how these guys take year this year of experience as freshmen and learn from it. Like, Colton Kites is one we can talk about. It's like, you watch film, and it's like, he got beat sometimes this last game, just flat out. But Colton Kites has played less competitive football games in his life than I have, probably both of you too. Yeah. I mean, run down his history for listeners. So Colton Kynes, and we talked about this a little bit, I think, early on in the season, but he went to Missoula Big Sky and was in drama. And I think it must have been a gym class or something, but the head football coach out there, Johnson, one day was like, hey, we'll see you at practice when he was like a sophomore or something like that. They made him come out for football. I mean, didn't make him, but got him to come out. So his junior year was the first year he'd ever played organized football. And somehow, you know, he kind of stumbled his way through it to a point that he walked on at UM, which he was probably just like, hey, there's a big camp body. You know, it's like we need another guy. And I'm fairly certain, and Brent, you may be able to correct me on this, but I think he got cut. The... The, and again, chatter was that end of last year, there could have been the indicator that his time as a Grizz was done. Was done. And then there's a coaching change. In review with the new staff, with the guys that stayed on, they said, well, who's our tackles? And at that point, Thane Jackson had had hip surgery. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, you know, we, we got Con- in camp. <laughs> we got Colin Beaver and uh, you know uh, Scott, and uh, that that's kind of pretty much it. Because uh, one of the other guys, uh, Taurus or whoever, also left. Left. And Peyton Stoner left. And Stoner he's back. But he's it's back. like, but so it was, it's Hell, so, so that's four. So from last year, when you talk about guys who probably were going to start. So Kites comes in as like, well, we'll put him in and see how it goes. And I mean. You look at right now. He's like yeah, yeah, out in left field. <laughs> or not yeah, yeah. What's the guy's name in San, Sandlot? Oh, <laughs> what's the what's the protagonist? They just throw him a mitt and put him out in left. Oh, um, oh yeah. he's got the glasses. I know that. You're gonna look this up. Yeah, um, I'm Googling right now. Yeah, Bonzi's gonna get you on Twitter for that. But he, um, you know, and I I think the big thing for him is that for where he is in his football life. Who in their right mind would have thought that this guy's going to be starting as a freshman? Richard freshman. Richard yeah. freshman, but in, in the Big Sky Conference for the Grizz. At left tackle. At left tackle. <laughs> At left t- and I'll be honest, of the two tackles, he's looked better than the other one. Yeah. And that's not to pick on the other guy, but he has. No, and I mean, the thing I was, I was trying to think, you go back to day one of spring ball to now, I think he's the only guy that's consistently played almost every first team rep through practices and camps and scrimmages and games and all that. I mean, like, consistent. Now, I know, like, being there doesn't make you the best or the most mm-hmm. consistent guy, but, like, he's been, of health-wise and just 
there and ready to go and to play. I mean, he's been the, the reliable factor. Smalls. Smalls! You're killing me, Smalls! You're killing me, Smalls! Yeah. What's um, going uh, Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, the second yeah. baseman or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's going to be interesting, and I think it's, it's a big offseason for him, because I think that the coaches obviously like what they saw in spring. They like what they saw in fall enough. They gave him a scholarship. He's, he's, you know, he's on the team for four years now. And it'll be interesting that now that he's had a year of legitimate playing time with a legitimate offensive line coach, what they do with him in the offseason. Because I think that you can look at a lot of guys who have to have big offseasons, but I think he's as big as anybody. Because like if he can kind of take that, okay, now you've got all these experiences, put the box together, you know, like turn this into something, get that killer instinct on the football field a little bit more. I think that they feel like they've got something. So, and it, this, his Twitter account's public, so I, I figured this is good for public disclosure. This is why I like this guy. His Twitter handle has BFG in it, you know, like Big Friendly Giant. Mm-hmm. And so he tweeted last week, uh, PSA, it has been mandated by the Montana coaching staff that I change the F and BFG from friendly to another word, which I will not repeat over social media. Nothing that I can do on the field is friendly. Sincerely, <laughs> Colton. <laughs> I mean, I don't like this guy. Like, that is awesome. <laughs> but I mean, I think that, like, I think that's it. It's like I think these coaches are like, man, we've got this blank slate with this guy. It feels like it, and I mean, even so, like, you hate to project, but it's like even if someone comes in and beats him, beats him out, mm-hmm. you've got a guy with this season of experience oh, yeah. under his belt. Yep. He can he can come in on special teams. He can come in when guys get hurt. He can maybe you know take a year and build and come back. Feels like it, it's so stupid, like the eye test. But he's like he's the right size, and it it, it doesn't seem like it's stuff where he just I don't know it, 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 like the blank slate. And I yeah. think of the five guys starting right now, he's the guy that the coaching staff feels has the most promise. And it's going to be interesting to see yeah. if that you know he can they can get that let's like be be this friendly giant off the field but kick <laughs> some ass on it and good for him like you know imagine that like start playing football as a junior and here you are but so now now moving forward we got three games and we got a lot of freshmen that can play these three games this on is, the O line this is on my notes to talk about here we're talking we about Southern Utah a little bit more because that's I think it's going to be a fascinating three games to watch. And we're going to get into Southern Utah in a little bit, but I'll, I'll, I'll tip one thing. Their defense is the worst defense in the Big Sky. So, yeah, well, Davis didn't have a great defense either, so <laughs> this, is, uh, this is worse. All right. Shut us out I know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, like, if there's these next two weeks, Idaho and Southern Utah, if there's ever a defense to cut your teeth on, oh. see if, like, oh. these true freshmen Freshman. have been progressing, this is it. Yeah. This is it. So let's wrap up a little bit this week. I mean, there's a couple things that I think we've talked about some frustration with the coaching. We've talked about the O-line, which I honestly think is at the end of the day, if the O-line was playing better, some of the other problems would take care of themselves a little bit. Sneed, he is who he is. Like he had two get out of jail runs in this game that you were just like, how? How How did he do it? Like he looked like he got sacked and he's like pulling the whole group with him and then he like spins out and gains a bunch of yards and then he had one in the second half where he took off running and I mean like he took a hit jumping that if I'd taken it I'd still be in the hospital 
Well, the hit he took after it. Too. Yeah, and then there was a dirty play after it that got missed. Yeah. Which I will say, I, I think that he's getting a little bit of a raw deal from the refs because he's such an athlete that takes off. But there are this is now two the last two home games in a row where I've seen such a blatant face mask on him mm-hmm. from my seats. And it's like, how? Like, how do the refs not see them? They've both been on third downs when he's getting sacked because the opposing team's bringing the house against our own line. So it's like, I'm not going to sit here and say that Snead hasn't had his challenges and that he's gotten, like, 100% perfect world with which to, you know, state his case. I do think that even though there were some some passes in the first half where the coaches clearly recognized they needed to get the ball further downfield and did some things where they rolled him out of the pocket and then he chucked it down the field and it worked, yeah. um, I still we're still not getting the ball downfield enough. Nothing's more frustrating. It's like, you know, yeah, he's got this high percentage. And, you know, great. It is what it is. But it's like there was a third down where he airmailed a three-yard pass to Calhoun, and Calhoun would have had the first down. And you're just like, in what world are you throwing a 99-mile-per-hour fastball there? You know? like you. This has happened from game one. Yeah. Like you and I, we had a lot of third down conversions die with some some passes that just needed Missiles. touch. Yeah. And yeah. So it's like the, the touch isn't there and it costs us sometimes. So it's a kind of what he giveth is also what he taketh away. Like he, he gets us some first downs that he shouldn't by virtue of how goddamn tough he is. Yeah. But then his passing is just. It, it, it's not great. And people are going to be like, oh, he's third in the conference in yards and third in the conference in touchdowns or whatever. And it's just like, we have scored while, while the first string QB has been on the field the last three weeks, 41 points over three games. Mm. So that's, what, 13 and a half points a game, a little bit less? It's like, it's just not going to cut it. And in the second half yesterday, we had 59 yards passing. And it, it, it's just like... And three interceptions. And three interceptions. And some of those interceptions, they knew we had to start throwing the ball because we needed to come back. So they just dropped their guys in coverage and they knew they knew that we couldn't do it. And you talk about shifting over the middle and taking, taking away the middle. These teams know that we just don't have a consistent vertical passing game. Yeah. And I don't want to sit here and hammer it because I think that this kid's got beaten to hell behind yeah. an offensive line that's been weak and he didn't have to come here and he's playing his heart out and his teammates love him. But I honestly think we need to see what Cam Humphreys has because if Cam Humphreys doesn't have it, they need to find a starting quarterback this offseason. And I know that that's a hot take <laughs> and I know that people are going to be all over it, but look at our schedule next year. And you tell me that there aren't teams that are going to stack the box and say, Dalton, beat us. Like, even if our O-line improves. So you remember what we did to Dakota Prukop a couple years ago. It's like you you sit there, even if the O-line magically improves next year and we're not this leaky sieve, it it doesn't change the defensive game plan. It becomes, don't necessarily try and get to the quarterback, just keep him in the pocket and make him throw – and that's the book on us. And that's just my concern. And I could be wrong. And I will be the first to tell you guys on the pod if I'm wrong on this. And I hope I am. But that's just my concern is that we're going to have this problem next year. And I know there's a lot of politics in that because Sneed was Hauk's guy and Sneed was given the number one job and it ran Jensen off. And we're not going to get into that because there's all kinds of takes on that. So it's like, 
it really puts Halk and Rosie in a tough spot if Sneed isn't the guy. But I don't know. Just I just do yourself a favor and do not watch the mid-season highlight reel of Gresh Jensen that's floating around the internet because <laughs> it'll make you really sad. <laughs> but but Luke, he's only completing fifty-nine percent of his passes. Oh, so it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's not any good. No, it's mm. terrible. You didn't know that. I, I'm again, also. If, I'm, you need to read Egress more than <laughs> I'm suppressing all of this. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it, it is what it is. It, it is, and 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 that's going to be the thing. I mean, it, Dalton's going to be a senior next year. Yep. And so you look at if next year is the big step, you want, you need, you have to have that leader at QB, which he is, but you got to do more because you can't. Go out there and throw three to four picks a game every game three ga- you know three weeks in a row three or four weeks I guess with a bye, and just because that's just not going to cut it and, and you know it will it will be interesting to see though because it does seem like Sneed's issues do come uh, his turnover issues come from pressure yeah and is that a factor of Sneed can't act under pressure or is it a fact that this is a young O-line that can't handle pressure. Or it's probably a little bit of both, probably most likely. Because so, it's been interesting because yeah. the times where you watch it and you're like, hey, the O-line actually blocked really well in that play, you're still kind of like, you didn't go through your progressions before you took off. Yeah. Or like against Portland State, you know, he didn't have pressure. He was running to his left and he could have stopped and planted and hit Jerry Lee McGee, scored a touchdown, we would have beat Portland State. And we'd still be talking about the playoffs. Yeah, we'd still be talking about the playoffs. So it's like... <laughs> I, I just think there's more to it, and I'm not saying that Cam Humphrey is the answer. Cam Humphrey could be terrible, but what I am saying is if if Cam's not, then we need another QB on the roster. And, and you can flip it. So look at Cal Poly. Cal Poly could not get to Dalton, right? Like Cal Poly's D line was trash, and he picked them. He picked that defense apart. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like every time the Grizz had the ball, he. I mean, you could do no wrong. I mean, that was Eastwood's biggest game running the ball, and it was. He had all the time in the world. Now, granted, will that happen? No, no. That's not what you could build an expectation on. But maybe it's, maybe it's that kind of hope. Like, if, if this O-line can get into the next season, and instead of giving Dalton two seconds to figure out what he can do, he gets like four. Five. Man, if he like, gets four or five, then that's the greatest O-line in the history of the <laughs> But But no, you're right. It's like you know, if, they, yeah. if they buy him another half second to a second, it's like how does that change things? It, and it, it might not. That's the thing. And then if it doesn't, and we're in this exact same situation next year with a goddamn tough schedule. Oh, man. Oh, my God. And it's tough to say what teams are what teams are going to be like when we lose to graduation and stuff like that. I mean, we play, We go to Davis. We play. But every other tough game is home. It's yeah, I mean, except East for Oregon. Idaho State here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, Oregon. Oregon. I've already chalked that one up as a loss. Yeah. <laughs> we can go. We'll see what happens. I'm going. Yeah. I'm not going to Idaho, but I'm going to Oregon. Man, <laughs> I feel so betrayed right now. <laughs> Did you get invited to Oregon? I didn't get invited to Oregon. I didn't get invited to Oregon, Mike. What is Courtney going with you to Oregon? Probably. God. <laughs> Are you taking Sammy? I'll take Sammy. I'll take <laughs> then his, I'm out. I'll take, I'll take his fuzzy little ass. Um, Sammy pooped in his kennel last night, okay? This, yeah, so we're done. This, I'm back on hating on this dog. <laughs> so this, this isn't like Mike's pod dog barfing all over the floor right before we record tonight. 
Oh so my God! We didn't we didn't give you the update last week, but the pod dog was in a cone last week because he had emergency surgery the the week before to take out his spleen um, because that's the type of dog this guy is. I mean, this supports my point. What a pain in the ass! So I I I dropped fifteen hundred dollars to get this dog's spleen taken out. No. Put him down. So he had a cone. He's had a cone for ten days. They take the cone off today. They take they take his ten staples out, and literally it must be the first time he ate. And right before we're sitting down to start talking about the pod, the dog vomits all over. And thankfully, Luke was paying attention to my nine month old daughter, who's like cruising towards the vomit on the floor. And uh, Stacy, I think, pointed out that. This might affirm some of the accuracy of Luke's take on dogs. <laughs> Do you know what, Mike? You need the love that Hug gives you more than hungry people need fifteen hundred dollars. It crossed my mind. Not, I mean, Hug, Hug's sitting right here. We were ne- we were never putting you down, buddy. Um, but it, it crossed my mind. Like, what if the vet calls back and says, like. This is when we took him in before they said he needed to have this emergency surgery. And then think of the vet calls back and it's like, it's going to be like $2,700. He's like, what's your line to be like, oh. yeah, no. And then what's the vet thinking? Like, you heartless bastard. <laughs> like, what's your problem? What is your problem? You know, you can give him to our buddy uh, Malloy. <laughs> <laughs> he has nothing but love for Don. Nothing but love I'm for Don. catching some heat from him. Yeah. But anyway, Huck's here. No cone. He's been licking the former spot where his stitches were all night, so I'm sure he's going to be in a cone again tomorrow, which is going to be great. Uh, what the hell were we even talking about? <laughs> I think we were just wrapping up uh, Dalton Sneed talk, and we moved into Huck throwing up on the floor. Yeah. Well, you know you know where they don't allow... <laughs> it all flows together. <laughs> um... Is that our analogy for the season there? Oh, man. He ate too... Well, yeah, maybe. It's like we got too much in the beginning of the season, thought we were better than we were, and, we and then we vomited all over the floor. <laughs> yeah. It's all right, Huck. But that leads me right into... Do you know where... I'm pretty sure they don't allow dogs. Washington Grizzly Stadium? Well, shit. I was going to say Hotel Finland, but sure. Well, of course they don't <laughs> let dogs into Hotel Finland. And certainly not in the Cavalier Lounge. Did you know I did a, I did a little reading on the Hotel Finland, mm-hmm. um, and it was designed after the Hotel Astor in New York City. I did not know that. Looks just like it. Really? It's kind of this upscale looking place that I imagine like you got the crystal popping, maybe in a stretch navigator. You got food <laughs> everywhere. You know, as if the party, as if was, the party catered. was catered. I mean, you might have like fellas on your left and honeys on your right. And if you bring them both together, you can have some fun all night. Mike, because do you know why? Because after the show, it's the what? It's the after party. And after the party, it's the Hotel, Hotel Finland Lobby. <laughs> and around about four, you gotta clear the lobby. And take them to your room. <laughs> and chat them up and converse with somebody. Have yeah. You- that's the type of place Hotel Finland is. It's this uptown boutique hotel in downtown Butte. It's got beautiful architecture, grand rooms, great prices. <laughs> it's the Hotel Finland in lovely Butte, America, who isn't going to be our show sponsor after this week. 
they're gonna Google these lyrics and be like, oh my god. Or they're gonna be like, you know what, these guys bring an edge to our marketing that we just don't have. <laughs> so that's I was thinking, like, you go into the Cavalier Lounge, ask to mix up a fine drink in their smooth operator. Absolutely. And you just put on a little music and you know the song writes itself. There you go. It's finland.com, F-I-N-L-E-N.com. That's the Hotel Finland in lovely Uptown Butte. And with that, let's get back to things that are important. Uh, Big Sky Conference games. So real quick, let's run through the week that was. So we talked a little bit about how Luke had an opportunity to to make a game this week because we picked some different ones. First game up, Weber State, North Dakota. Luke picked North Dakota. I picked Weber. So... I got one. Luke didn't. Plus one. Plus one for Mike. Uh, Idaho, Eastern Washington. We both pick Eastern. Um, We're going to talk more about Eastern in a second. They've got some big QB news there. Um, Both Luke and I picked UC Davis over Montana, which was the correct pick. I did not. Uh, Print print did not. Super good at that. I was like, look at these assholes. I'm going to get these guys. And I was like, (laughs) oh, hedged his bet. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah, my, yeah. Um, We both picked Idaho State to beat Montana State. Closer Uh, game than expected. Closer game than expected. We'll talk about that a little bit too. Um, Troy Anderson looked a little bit more serviceable. Uh, Matt Miller caught some people by surprise with his play calling. We'll see if that lasts. Um, we both picked Northern Arizona to beat Cal Poly, and they, in fact, did not. Womp womp. You know? um, Northern Colorado, Southern Utah. Luke picked Northern Colorado. I picked Southern Utah. Northern Colorado won. Portland State, Sacramento State. Luke picked Portland State. I picked Sac State. Portland State won. <laughs> so Luke does, in fact, pick up a game. He went 5-2 and two for the week. I went 4-3. and three. Luke's 46-25 for the season. I'm 51-20. and 20. We have some interesting games this week. this week. Yeah. It's going to be kind of an interesting uh, interesting slate. So I was... Um, let's kind of talk about each game, and then Brent's got some notes and some stuff like that, and then we'll talk a little bit of playoffs right after that. Does that work? Yeah, and, and more of the notes, of course, looking at the whole playoff picture from the Big Sky perspective. Yep. yep. So Eastern Washington at Northern Colorado. The big news at Eastern, Gage Giroud's out for the... Year. Yeah. I mean, he's been out for three weeks, and they seem to have found their offense, so I think they're going to beat Northern Colorado, but... I think Eastern's going to win as well. This does make setting the line so much trickier for whoever sets lines for Northern Colorado games. <laughs> I think the game that's going to be interesting is Eastern hosting Davis the week after. Right. I think that... I mean, I Davis... Well, we'll see how the week goes. We'll get there when we need to get there. It'll be interesting. But, you know, the Northern Colorado, I I wouldn't sleep on this game being an interesting one. Um, UNC has found their attack. They've won two in a row, I think. Mm-hmm. Granted, I think it's been against a couple they of They almost let Southern Utah come back. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were up. Uh, tw- it's funny because they had a big comeback almost uh, to cover the spread against Davis. Mm-hmm. And they allowed uh, Southern Utah to score 21 unanswered in the fourth quarter to make it look to get it within, like, I think a three-score game. So, um, UNC's playing better football? I don't know. They can score some points. They score some points. They've got a receiver, I think, that leads in most receiving categories in the big sky when it comes to yards. Uh, First guy in their program's history at the D1 level to have back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, I think. Could be making that up, but I think that's true. Hey, sounds legit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway. Eastern should win, but I wouldn't be... 
shocked with a Northern Colorado win. Boy, if Northern Colorado beats Eastern, then they're buying that coach of theirs another three or four years. Bob Stitt's going to be pissed because yeah. that's where he wanted <laughs> that's to go. Bob Stitt's job in the waiting. <laughs> um, so Sac State goes to Weber State. This is the battle of the former Weber head coach versus the current one. Jody Sears used to coach Weber. Is there a more disappointing team than Sac State in the Big Sky? No. no. They are a sinking turd. So, guys, if you feel Maybe bad Idaho. about the Grizz season, just think we could be Sac State or we could be Idaho. You know, I was going to say, Idaho got a first-place vote yeah. in the preseason. Um, Sac did not. Sac, though, was a lot of people's darling. You know who has not been on the Sac, SAC bandwagon all year? Is Hot Take Nate. Oh. He has been... All over how they had a soft schedule last year, and they're yeah. Well, he's got his boots on the ground there in California. Yeah, he would. He yeah. would. Yeah. So I think Weaver is going to win this game. I think Weaver's going to win this one too. Yeah. And um, it's going to be interesting to to watch Weaver's steamroll into their third straight uh, playoff appearance. Yeah, they. I mean, they're sitting at six and two. They, I mean, they got sacked. They got Southern Utah. Those should be wins. They finished at Idaho State. That could be interesting because you could have Idaho State fighting for a fight playoff for life, life. Yep. and you could have Weaver fighting for a seat, fighting for a seat, or maybe even the conference. Uh, because if Davis that second loses. week play, loses to Eastern, Weaver would hold the tiebreaker. Yeah, and so if they both finish with one conference loss, that's going to be interesting. So um, we've got Montana, Southern Utah, which we'll pick a little bit later. Um, interestingly. One other note on Weber State, really quick. I meant to move. I didn't mean to move on quite so quickly. Coached by Jay Hill, they're about to make the playoffs for the third year. Before Jay Hill got the Weber State head coaching job, he applied for what head coaching job, Brent? Um, I know the answer. Uh, University of Montana. Oh, the University of Montana. <laughs> when we hired Bob Stitt, just making a note here. As did. File that away. File that away. Okay. We're we're good. Okay. Filed. Filed. So now we're going to talk about Northern Arizona, UC Davis. Hmm. Uh, Northern Arizona or UC Davis? Uh, who you got? I'm going to take Davis. Um, I've seen Davis now in person. I'm going to take Davis as well. Davis looks like they probably will stamp their playoff ticket if they win this game because they'll be at eight wins, including a win over FBS San Jose State. Davis is coached in the second year by Dan Hawkins. Before Dan Hawkins applied for the UC Davis job, uh, what job did he apply for, Bryn? God, I feel like it might be the same one that uh, Jay Hill applied for. Oh, he, in fact, did apply for the Montana job when we hired Bob Stitt. Just interesting trivia, should you need to know. You guys are not seeing the forest through the trees. Through you, the trees? Is that what it's called? Is that the same? <laughs> you guys are not seeing... For the trees. For the trees, whatever. The forest for the trees. <laughs> You guys are not seeing shit, because if we hired either of those guys, we wouldn't have Bobby. Uh, True or false? (laughs) True. (laughs) I'm going to say that I'm happy that Bobby's here, but if we had hired Dan Hawkins three, four years ago, look what he's doing in year two at UC Davis with a really young roster. (laughs) Jay Hill's the best coach in the Big Sky. Jay Hill, yeah. Right, yep. like he he took them from two wins to like six to eight to like almost knocking off. But you know what? I will say that yeah. there is 
some leeway in both of those schools to hire those guys that I don't think Montana has. Yeah, oh, for sure. And the only reason that Haslam was able to hire Bob Stitt is that Bob Stitt was this national media darling. And if you don't think that mattered, I think that's the only reason he was able to pull it off. Yeah. Because he had a national reputation, whereas who's Jay Hill? And Dan Hawkins had all this baggage. Anyway, Cal Poly, Montana State. I think Montana State wins this one. Okay. I think that Montana State is going to struggle with Cal Poly's option. And I think Cal Poly is going to beat them at home. I think they're in for a letdown. Nice. I do. I like. I uh, saw on Twitter that Skyline Sports said a surging Cal Poly. And I was like, shit, they're surging? <laughs> What'd they do? They won a game. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'd take that better, surge right there. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I think Montana State's best part of their game is their defense. I think that they struggled last year with that option team from... Oh, uh, Kennesaw State. Kennesaw State. State. They no, really struggled Cal Poly is not Kennesaw Cal Poly State. is not Kennesaw oh, State, on, but yeah. Cal Poly has Joe Prothrow. Yeah. And I don't know. I just I think it's going to happen. We'll see. Okay. I mean, if you want me to change it, we just pick chalk so you can't keep gaming on me. That's fine. No, I want to keep it as is. <laughs> <laughs> North Dakota at Idaho. <sighs> North Dakota's going to win this game. I don't think it's going to be close. I feel like you're right. I, this is the one where it's like we could be sitting here and saying, oh, yeah, maybe we should have seen that coming. But Idaho's just bad. Yeah. Although they did destroy Southern Utah in Idaho. So who knows? It's depressing that we're in that lower tier of the conference. If you want this extreme outside shot for the Grays to get in, To go 7-4 and and get in. You're a big Idaho fan this week. All right. Big Idaho fan. Big Idaho fan. Because they UND then plays Portland State and NAU. They dropped that one. The best they could finish would be 7-4. Is UND at Portland State or does Portland State go to North Dakota? Portland State goes to North But they lost. Weaver beat them there. Idaho State beat them there. They're not super good at home. Just when they play us. Interesting. Yeah. Go Vans. Um, last game, Idaho State at Portland State. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't want to pick Portland State. But yes, I feel do. like I'm going to have to, Mike. Portland State. Listen, I don't know that they're going to win, but I'm more interested in winning this picks bet, and I think I'm going to have to look for an upset. Because Mike's going to pick Idaho State. It's interesting that I was going to pick Portland State. You were. Because I feel like Idaho State is primed for a letdown. Okay. They're going to Portland State. Portland State has won three in a row, and they are playing close to what their talent level actually is than they have for a couple of years. Um, Idaho State's offense is... They're running the ball, so I'm not going to say they're finesse, but I but um, Montana State held them pretty in check. Maybe gave them a blueprint. I don't know. It's at Portland State. Okay, if you pick Portland State, I'm going to go Idaho State. <laughs> I want. I just need to pick opposite of you here to see if I can gain some ground on our picks. And I'm actually an Idaho State believer. Um, uh, you're you're probably going to get this one right, but you know. And this was like kind of my last little tidbit when you look at because we got three weeks left of football left here for the Big Sky. Portland State can break a lot of hearts. I mean, oh yeah, they go ISU, North Dakota, Eastern Washington. 
they could push off. They they could punch Idaho State out. You know, UND's an independent this year. A seven and four independent usually does not get a lot of love. I mean, you could you could punch those two out. Eastern, it all just depends on how they do. I mean, they've got they play Davis and then they play PSU, and that's their rivalry game or whatever they call it, like the, the Damn Cup or something. Um, so they run I the mean, table. They run the table. They finish seven and four. Okay, so this is like the the, the fascinating thing. We talked about this right before we got recording. PSU runs the table and goes seven and four. Grizz run the table and goes seven and four. If PSU does that, they've knocked Idaho out. Idaho State out. Uh, and it just all depends on what happens with Eastern. I mean, if Eastern drops two in a row at the end, that's gonna be tough. Oh, that's tough. And then you, you're so then you're gonna look at. I mean, you're gonna look at a PSU team that has won six in a row, but only has six Division One wins because one of their wins is an NAIA school, and then Montana. Boy, we're gonna, gonna be, be seven and four. They'll have the head to head, but we'll have. The more, and I know the playoff committee has changed, has lightened up on the rules where you don't have to have seventy-one wins. Boy, it seems like if there's wow. if those two guys are on the bubble spot for the last spot, and they're head to head, you got to give it to Portland, right? It would feel like it, but there's been other times where, I yeah, I mean, six-game win streak. <sighs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> it could be a wild finish. I mean, Portland State could really, really. Break some hearts. It, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do. Yeah. Good good stuff. Any other Big Sky notes? That's all I got. Any other playoff thoughts? No, that's pretty much it. I mean, you look at Davis is probably staring down a seed. And, uh, you know, because they're going to – either them or Eastern. I mean, Weber is going to kind of finish right in there. But, uh, yeah, one of those three, maybe two, might grab a seed. But – I mean, so Davis could be gunning for a high seed where maybe they don't have to go to North Dakota State for a couple of rounds. <laughs> let, let Eastern That's a win in itself. North yeah. Dakota or Idaho State go there and get the shit kicked out of them first, you know? All right. Well, I think that about wraps up the big sky, which leads us into what, Luke? The BWR. The BWR. Britt, are you ready? God. So explain the BWR. <laughs> so the BWR is it's kind of like the QBR. Except it's the Brent Wahlberg rankings, and we need him to go one through five on whatever topics we throw at him. You know what? I thought this was fun last week until the text messages and tweets started rolling in about my Tootsie Rolls pick, my inability to name Taylor Swift songs. <laughs> that was and, really bad. Uh, <laughs> Um, I'm not good at these quick thoughts. I just want to know why nobody ever interacts with us on our football talk. (laughs) 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 Never mind. I know. I've answered that question. All right, Mike. How about you uh, start it off with a BWR? All right. Um, Brent, why don't you tell us who the top five best Grizz follows on Twitter are? Well, Grizz Fan Podcast. All right. At Grizz Fan Pod. At Grizz Fan. Does that count? Should I be like outside of the family here? Nope, that counts. We're good. Okay. No, we'll allow it. So Grizz Fan Pod. Skyline right. is a good one to follow. All right. You should probably follow, you know, someone like me because I, uh, you know, do some live tweeting here and there. I'm impressed you put you number three. I put you number one. I- I'm so. humble. I'm, <laughs> see, this, is, this is my humble side. Be humble. <laughs> 
Uh, Sean Rainey with ABC Fox is a great follow, especially he will give you some live video and some mm-hmm. things that go on uh, when allowed He's to. He's got the coach's show, so he gets some insights. He's got the coach's show. And I'm trying to think of like a fifth, like kind of like an off-the-wall one. Um, one. What? You have one? Clicksby. Grizz Fan 24. Oh, yeah, Grizz Fan 24. There you go. He, see? This is smart. He is an intelligent football follow. You know, uh, but see, now where do you put Andrew? Because I enjoy Andrew Schmidt. But oh, man, Andrew I mean, Schmidt is something else. But, I mean, he's got the stories. <clears throat> he's not breaking down games in real so, time. So, I mean, if I, if I bumped out Grizz Fan Pod because that's a little self-serving, or myself, I would put Schmidt in there because he is he is a – both him one. and Clixby are great follows. So, we're good. So, so name, name the – uh, Schmidt and Clixby's so handles. Clixby's is at Grizzfan24 and um, Andrew Schmidt. It is Sh- at a Schmidtacular. Yep. And he's more of a he's more of a great off season follow. Honestly, he <laughs> follow. He he doesn't just do Grizz. No, it's, he does everything. Yeah. But he's an interesting guy. Really smart and yeah, yeah. engaged with <laughs> Grizz history. Future podcast. He just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> All right, there's okay. there's one. I've right. got a few more. Right? I don't think I'm so blasted. For Luke smiled. Okay. Now. So, <clears throat> Nate, <laughs> Nate, <laughs> uh, Brent. Yes, <laughs> you grew up in Missoula. Yes, the the banana belt of Montana. <laughs> uh, it's the city. It's the epicenter of all that is liberal and blue. <laughs> Name five towns east of Billings. <laughs> <laughs> Miles City. Yes. Sydney. Yes. Haver? No. no. What? Glendive. Yes. Plentywood. Ooh. And, yes. And uh, do I need one more? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Should I start throwing some out there? Is Harden? Is Harden? No, oh, Harden's no. on the inside, on the other side of Billings, isn't it? Where is Centerville? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Centerville? That's a reference. Oh, my God. Um, uh, 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 Colstrip. Yes. So, um, there. That's nicely done. I don't think hey, I would have got that. There you go. Harden is east of Billings. Oh, so I got it. So you're all right. But you doubted yourself. Well, I didn't know. <laughs> all right. I drove through it like twice. So I got, I got my next one here. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I'm sweating. This is terrible. I need your uh, top five realtors in Missoula. <laughs> Brent Wahlberg. What a cheap fucking joke that is. Judy Wahlberg. Lord. Christina Wahlberg. Courtney Wahlberg. I like how you put your wife fourth. <laughs> Going off experience here. Uh, and, uh, and Mike Nugent. Okay, hey, I made the list. Hey, I don't have to go to my next one. <laughs> Luke, you're up. I got more. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do they keep stats for real estate? <laughs> like, the most number of square footage moved? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like every other stat. You can find the spin for you and win. <laughs> all right, Brent. Rank oh your top five Grizz quarterbacks of all time. Ooh, good one. Dave Dickinson. Mm-hmm. John Edwards. Ooh, I guess those are the two national championship winners, right? Okay, Drew Miller, all right, Craig Oaks, Jordan Johnson. Interesting. Who would yours be? I probably wouldn't have John Edwards on that list. I don't think I would either. And I mean, you don't appreciate championships. 
I love championships, <laughs> but it's kind of like Brad giving, Johnson has a Super Bowl. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like a Eli technicality. Man, yeah. It's like when someone who's born on a leap year is like, I'm actually eight years old. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, he, well, he actually won a national championship. <laughs> um, I don't know. Probably in some order, though, like those four. I'm not sure how, who would supplant for John Edwards. How about you? Um, well, Dave Dickinson's up there. Oaks. Miller, Miller, I think, is greatly underappreciated in just how proficiently awesome our offense was those years. I probably, I mean, Brian Ayotte would maybe be another snap. Ayotte is one there. And you got, we got to kind of remember, it's like we get obsessed with the current era, but it's like Brent Pease and Marty Morton were both drafted into the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like they got to be in there somewhere, right? Yeah. But, there's, a, there's a former Shelby, uh, oh, there's a current Shelby resident, Shelby High School graduate who was a quarterback in the 70s. Rock Spinningson. Oh, he's on your list. Huh? He's on my list. He's on your list. All right. He's wonderful. He still beats my ass in handball. <laughs> <laughs> I got one more for you, Brent. Oh, my God. Uh, <clears throat> top five middle school robotics teams in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to understand this. Okay. You can just give us one. Hellgate Elementary. <laughs> Which my daughter's on. <laughs> I gotta give Brent credit because I think he it does a tr- tremendous dad duty. His daughter is on a robotics team with all kinds of boys who sound terrible, like middle school boys. Okay. And Brent will go to robotics tournaments to support his daughter and help them out. Well, I'm the coach for the damn team too. So little little known fact about Brent Walter. There you go, coach. Yeah. Coach. Yeah, I'm a coach. I'm a coach. You know, the funny thing is, is you get the same complaints from parents. They're like, why isn't my son doing more with the the robot? Because he's... I shouldn't say this on the... This is an intramural! Because he... <laughs> this, this, is is division, this is Division One Robotics! I'm putting in the time in the offseason. <laughs> you come at me. I'm a man. 439. Luke, <laughs> do you have any left? No, let's end this. My <laughs> God, this is terrible. No. <laughs> this just might end it. But <laughs> good, last one. Top five songs DJ Wahlberg would end the night with. Ooh, oh my God, Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> well, this is like eighteen years ago now, right? Like, yeah. So, so did you drop some Nelly? I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, de- Nelly was definitely in there. This is my mind's gonna go numb here. Uh you know, uh, at that point, you did definitely like Nelly. You do some of that, but at the end of the night, you gotta go like slow songs, right? So you gotta be—is that what you did? You gotta be like Casey and JoJo. Oh wow! You know, um, you gotta let them slow dance it out. You know, a little, little bit of jealousy or some, what, you know, R. Kelly before he grind. R. Kelly before he got super weird. <laughs> so before he um, peed on the minor in the closet. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> The other thing you have to remember, so the early 2000s boy bands were a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. So you definitely dropped some Backstreet Boys or some NSYNC because, like... Isn't the song Closing Time from about that era? Yeah, but that song is shit, but, so, I'm yeah. thinking of, like, you know, 1.45 a.m. at Stocks, and you got one last song to play before the lights flip on and you realize... Well, it was Farookis for me. It was Farookis? <laughs> oh, yes! <laughs> yes! So the lights turn on and you realize <laughs> that you've been dancing with someone you didn't think you were dancing with. <laughs> so the lights flip on and 
What's the last song? Oh man, he's put a couple out there. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I can't. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember. What what, what year was that? Two thousand. You know, this may be a great uh, uh, Twitter conversation for the listeners. Oh. Why don't you uh, tweet at <laughs> us what your great uh, <laughs> closing songs were from the uh, what, what what years are we looking this at? This would have been like ninety nine to two thousand two. Ninety nine to two thousand two. It'll be more fun than talking about the Grizz football game. This yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of that, let's move on to our breakdown of Southern Utah. Yeah. So Southern Utah. Um, you know, Brent's done his homework like he always does on the upcoming opponent. Um, they are the worst team in the Big Sky. Yeah. Well, no, they're not because Sac State. Sac State's the worst team in the Big Sky. Yeah. Um, but Brent, you're still not overly confident. Let's talk about this. I'm worried. I- I'm honestly worried. So I mean, so Southern Utah is one and eight. Uh, they have beat um, what North North Northern Colorado, I think it was. Um, and uh, it's funny because you 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 pull their stats apart. And so you say, well, they're being outscored 28 to 41 uh, on average. They've only played three home games because, well, you know, you're a small school. You've got to pay the bills by hitting the road, basically. And so their home games, they lost 30 to 34. They won 48 27. And then this last week, they lost 39 42. And who did they play at home those three games? Uh, so, boy, that was Northern no, Colorado. Well, uh, yeah, I think that was the 48 27 win. Or was that the that was no, this that, that was this loss? Yeah. So who was that forty eight twenty seven win? That might have been Sac State. It was probably Sac. It was State. probably Sac State. And the thirty four thirty loss was North Alabama. Mm-hmm. And that was when we still thought that Southern Utah was going to be one of the better teams in the conference, and we were like, I can't believe they lost North Alabama. Yeah, they were picked fifth in the Big Sky, and the Grizz were picked sixth. So they were picked to finish better than us. We also uh, have North Alabama on our schedule next year. Next year, yes, we do. Uh, so, I mean, you look at it, now granted the one win lop- makes it lopsided, but, I mean, so that puts them on average of scoring 39, outscoring opponents 39 to 34 at home. This is going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, Southern Utah has some some weird stats. They lead the big sky in first downs, and they have, like, the second or third best third down conversion percentage for a one-win team. Now, maybe it's because they got the ball all the time, and they're just they're playing from behind a whole bunch. Uh but when you flip over the defensive side, they're terrible. They give up 270 a game on the ground. They give up 280 a game in the air. They are the – like everything, they're either the worst or the second worst defense at all points. And so the offense is it, – it's a little bit more of a ball control. They run the ball a little bit more. They're a balance. They'll, they'll run – they try to run for over 200 yards a game. They try to pass for about 250 a game. Uh, their trick is – uh, a lot like North Dakota last year, they've been just wrecked by injury. They're on their third starting quarterback. Um, they, I mean, the second string guy got benched because he was just bad, I think. So um, they've got a freshman that's that's going to be presumably starting. He threw for 330 yards last week and threw a touchdown and ran one in. So not a lot of scouting on this guy. He's a freshman. He's, I think he's, 23 or 24 year old freshmen so it should be an interesting uh attack coming our way you know no comment (laughs) this could be a tough team um you know they they turn over they don't turn it over a ton they don't force a lot of turnovers though um they've got linebackers that attack so this is going to look a lot like davis it's going to be linebackers getting after sneed 
Um, it, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a wacky game, and of course, it makes me nervous because we're on the road, and Southern Utah statistically has played better at home. Now this grand this last one the forty two thirty nine like we talked about earlier, they made up twenty one points in the fourth quarter to make it look like a close game, so they were they were getting wrecked a little bit more than the final score would suggest. What's our pathway to winning this game? Uh, probably scoring 60 points and hoping they don't. <laughs> Can no. we score 60 points? Guess, Do we have that in us? Against these guys, maybe. I don't know. We got to, I mean, we got to, you know, of course, we saw some Grizz players, get, some guys get dinged up. So it's going to be a little interesting to see how we look defensively and offensively. This, this kind of feels like this could be the game where hopefully the Grizz offense can kind of get things rolling again. And like I referenced Cal Poly. This could be one of these ones. Southern Utah does not statistically show a lot of good QB pressure or sacks. Uh, their defense is just hanging on for dear life. So this could be a game where the Grizzly offense could find their footing again. Um, and so I anticipate this is going to be a high-scoring game. I, I see something, I mean, honestly, probably Grizz getting into the 40s, um, maybe the 50s, and you know, I, I just don't know defensively if we can stay after it because we've shown issue with being able to put a complete game together defensively especially. So this could be a game where, again, we're answering score for a score, uh, hopefully outpacing them. Um, I would hope that some of our experience and skill and just uh, especially with a freshman quarterback playing in his second game, uh, that we're going to hold some advantages there. But it, I don't think this is going to be an easy one, even though they're 1-8. and eight. So it's interesting because we've talked about it a couple weeks now, but it's like we're now at the point, three games left in the season. I mean, <clears throat> how Keevan said it a little bit last week, um, somebody asked him, you know, are we going to see more young guys prior to UC Davis? And he said, you might see a few. Next week you'll probably see more. And I, it's like we talked about last week, like, if we're in a rebuild, which it certainly appears we are, we need to be evaluating these guys. And it's like twofold. Let's see what they do in real live action, and we either get them experience to build on, mm-hmm. or we figure out, yeah, some of these guys aren't going to work out. So it's like, it's too bad that we don't have more home games in the last three because I don't think they can travel as many guys as right. they would otherwise. But I bet we see a handful of those freshmen Plan. It seems like it. I think you know uh, your opportunity is going to be offensive line and defensive line, presumably for maybe a little bit more reps and looks. Uh, so we'll just have to see how it goes. But that seems to be. And again, kind of like we said earlier, it's a bummer. It's on the road, but these next two games, statistically, these are weak defenses, and so these are ones where you can ease guys in. Hopefully. Hopefully we're not in a dogfight the whole way, <laughs> and we just have to rely on everybody. But but again, um, like we just talked about, like that playoff picture for the Grizz needs so much hope and prayer. It's such a dim look. Um, and if we are building, I don't think you sit there and say, I'm not going to try out Anderson at tackle or Sane at guard or some of these freshman D-line guys for the sake of the – extreme outside hope a 7-4 Grizz somehow finds their way in the playoffs. It's like, we get, if, if this is a build and that's the plan, get them in. Get, get them in. Give them reps. See how they do. Yep. Get them in. Let them play four games, three games. 
Outside shot we make the playoffs, they gotta play week one of the playoffs. Then they don't anymore. Yep. If they're if they're good enough to contribute, um It'd be nice to get a couple games under their belt before playing them in yep. the biggest game of the year for us, Cat Grizz. Yep. Man, what an experience that is. You know? <laughs> I mean, like, that really changes how you can develop a freshman. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, I, I, I like it a lot because usually, I mean, in years past, that year was just shelved. Yep. And then your experience game as a retro freshman or a retro sophomore mm-hmm. when you played the D2 school or the, the Pioneer League school or whoever. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I, mean, I think it's interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, at this point, I think the Grizz have to prove that they can do it. My observation would be the next two weeks are going to tell us if we are truly rock bottom rebuilding yeah. or if we're just, we can't run with the big dogs, but we're still better than the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I guess I feel like I have to look at how the season as a whole and feel like we're still better than the bottom. I mean, it's like we might not have as much talent as people think we do, but I also think that this roster's got to be better than... I would hope so. I don't know. I would hope so. Yeah, so these guys are going to be interesting to watch. They've got this... uh, They've got a receiver that's kind of like one of their all-time guys. This is Landon Meesum. He was all sorts of freshman stuff last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Set some freshman records. Um... They've got a good kick returner, so this is why both. Not? So, because why not? Yeah, uh, we're gonna find a new way to, to <laughs> uh, get frustrated watching a Grizz game. The, these next two weeks, both Southern Utah and Idaho have dynamic kick return teams. Like Idaho has, like I think, like one or two kick returns for touchdowns and like two or three punt returns for touchdowns. It's like their only way of scoring points. You know, with so, the new rules and the kickoffs and all that. Kick the goddamn ball in the end zone. Yeah, I'd say so. Punting's a little bit different, but um, yeah, that's all I've got to say on that. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, it, it, it all, we should beat them. We should beat them by a good margin. I just, when you drill down, start to look at their home stats, it's, I don't think it's going to be this easy of a game. And especially three game lose streak. We don't where's, have, where's that motivation factor? Where's that mental edge? That, that's going to be the big test. We don't have easy games at Montana. No. We haven't had easy games in over half a decade. Because, like, if you're Southern Utah right now, your season sucks. Yeah. Grizz come to town, you could beat them. Hell yeah. Keep their misery. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then you got two rivalry games in a row right after that. So, yeah. yeah. I will say, we're talking about playing people. I, I'm going to be really disappointed if they don't play Cam Humphreys a significant amount these next couple weeks. We need to know. Like, we need to know what we have there. I think you're going to be let down. I know. I think you're going to be let down. <laughs> I think the rationale is that Sneed is good enough to win. And it's not his fault. It's not his fault. It's, yep. it's the inexperience of the O-line. Yeah. And it's not just his fault. But, you know, if every, if every position is up for uh, competition every week. That's fair. Yeah. What do you think? Are we going to win? I think that we're going to win. I think we're... We have more talent on the field than they're, they're going to be able to bring. Brent, what do you think? Yeah, I, I feel like we're going to win. But I do, I do feel like this is going to be one where I think if people just look at the record and think we're going to win by 20 or 30, yeah. I think it's going to be a 10 to 14 point type of win. Yep. I think we're going to win too. So that's three, three picks for Montana against Southern Utah. See what happens. All right, Mike. Well, moving on, we've got one more segment here. The final thoughts? No. No. 
It's time for the check down. Pew, pew, pew. Oh, man. Nailed it. We're getting so good at this. <laughs> ready this time. We, 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 we are so ready for a playoff run. It's a shame that's not going to work out for us. Speaking of how ready we are for a playoff run, Mike. Yes, sir. In what year will the Grizz have a winning Big Sky Conference record? 2018. Okay. What's an unwritten rule of the real estate game? Leave your business card, turn off the lights. Do you believe in ghosts? No. Who wins Grizz defensive MVP this season? It's got to be Dante Olson. Who wins Grizz offensive MVP this season? Chris Jensen. <laughs> <laughs> On Saturday, <laughs> On Saturday uh, we saw a interesting penalty against the Grizz. What is illegal stemming? Legal stemming. I assume that you're talking about when they were basically simulating the snap to try and get the other team to jump off sides. Okay. Are you dressing up for Halloween? I am not. Like, literally, no clothes. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> what is your superpower of choice? Uh, oh. You know, I, I would like Superman's powers, all of them. He can x-ray vision, he can fly, none of that Batman shit. Can Superman dance? Can I dance? Well, I don't know. It just seems like a cool superpower. Is that a superpower to be able to dance? It is for me. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, that's it. That concludes the checkdown. <laughs> Only the best. Only the best in the checkdown. That's a good superpower. Yeah. You How know, creative. I could come up with so many unwritten rules in real estate. What's another one? Don't be an asshole. There's one. What? You don't tell your employees that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, in fact, I do. Not in so many words. <laughs> not, not in writing? <laughs> yeah, not in writing. <laughs> what's, what's the unwritten rule for you, Brent? The unwritten rule for me? Those, I mean, those are pretty good ones. I, I think... If, somebody, if you get to a house and someone's showing it, wait outside. Wait outside. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't breathe all over other people. We can go on and on, but I don't think they care about real estate. Oh, all right. I'll cut all of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, he won't. <laughs> yeah, the narrative voice. He didn't. He, he didn't. didn't. <laughs> narrative voice. Uh, final thoughts from either of you guys. I'm going to Boston this week for a meeting. I will tell you I am so happy that I'm not getting there until the day after their fucking parade. <laughs> there, this excitement in the city is still going to be permeating the next day. They're going to be chanting Yankees suck. Is there anywhere worse about? than Boston fans at this point who think they're long-suffering? I mean, is there a better championship sports town oh. anywhere in anybody's lifetime than Boston in the last decade plus? I think I, like that was like Twitter. I think it was when they won, like Brad said something like, Boston finally gets a championship. It's like... It's, it's crazy. I mean, like, they, the Red Sox have won four in the last 14 years. The Patriots have how many Super Bowls with Tom Brady? Couple, five. Five. I mean, Celtics. the Celtics have won one. Their hockey team's won one. I, it's crazy. <laughs> Like, if you were just a full-on Boston fan, like, you get no luck for the rest of your life. Like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I, there's this awesome clip out there where Stu Gotts and Bill Simmons are yelling at each other because Bill's pretends to be this tortured Boston <laughs> sports fan. I know, I think I've Stu seen Gotts this. is like... <laughs> Won't have any of it. Yeah, them. yeah. <laughs> Shut the hell up, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> the shtick wore off a long time ago. Yeah. Funniest thing I saw on Twitter is like, I watched bits and pieces of the World Series clincher and there was a lot of Red Sox fans in Los Angeles 
<laughs> somebody commented on Twitter and then somebody else quote tweeted it was like, guarantee you 85% of those people have never set foot in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even know the Red Sox existed <laughs> until 2004. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lifelong fan since 2004. Are you going to wear a Yankees hat? You know, I actually thought if the parade had been while I was there, I was going to go and wear a Yankees hat. Because when would you get an opportunity to see a championship parade? Right. Good point. You know, especially here in Missoula, Montana. I mean, it's my teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, Niners found a very unique way to lose, even for the Niners this week. So there's that. And the Bulls just gave up 14 threes to Clay Thompson tonight. I'm pretty sure they lost 213. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I think the parade would be cool. So uh, what Luke and I are basically saying, and Brent maybe to an extent here, is we're not having a very good sports year. Yeah, it's a bit, I mean, it's a, it's a rough sports year. I mean, the Packers are 3-4-1, right? 3-3-1. Three, three oh. So calm down. They've not won we are more than a, half the games. We are, a, we are a messed up kick return away from sending the Rams their first loss. Cause that's, I mean, that's the nice thing is you know Aaron Rodgers is going to do it. So the Browns fired Hugh Jackson. When are the Packers collective shareholders' ownership going to fire McCarthy? Oh, my God. They need to. They need to so fast. Uh, it's one of these things. It's kind of like Andy Reid. I mean, although maybe a bad example this year, but, like, you just – there's so many years with the same guy at the job, and it's just, like, I think a lot of people are weary. And uh, just like how Philadelphia had to – Move on from Andy. And they got a Super Bowl. Doug Peterson. Now Andy's doing great with Kansas City. But uh, I, Is there uh, a more fun team to watch right now than the Chiefs? Oh, my God. Mahomes is something else. The whole team is something else. Yeah, all the fast guys they've got on it. You see the running back, like, hurdled somebody and then carried another one in the end zone. <laughs> it's like you think of the Chiefs as finesse, and here he is, like, it's a tough run. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, I mean, right now, like, Super Bowl would definitely seem to be Chiefs versus Rams. So I'm going somewhere with this. Two interesting things, and I'm glad you brought up the Rams. The Rams have run 97% of their plays with the same personnel grouping on the field. One of the big criticisms of Stitt last year was that it was always the same personnel grouping, and we only had like three formations. The Rams appear to have more formations. (laughs) But it's interesting that it's like football doesn't have to be as complex as some people make it out to be, to be fun, because they're awesome. But... My bigger point on the Chiefs is, do you ever worry a little bit that that's the future of football and we hired Bobby Houck to take us back to something that isn't the future of football? All the time. We mentioned Bobby Ball earlier, mm-hmm. and I just don't know if it's as possible like with new rules. and They're not quite as extreme as the NFL, but it's a passing game. It's a downfield game, and that doesn't seem to be in Bobby's bag of tools. Yeah. How's that working for Alabama? See, and there's always... <laughs> but or Alabama North, with... How's it working for North Dakota State? But North Dakota State never stops scoring. Yeah, that's like, true. They run it... You can't stop They them. run their pro-style offense yeah. with a little bit more variety, but they never stop. They, they run it no matter what. Like They don't try and play to... But you if, know. if you're not Alabama that can go and pick like 80% <laughs> of the top... 50 players. Freak athletes. But yeah. Same thing with North Dakota. They they are the king of their little kingdom, right? If you're not them, what do you do? You can't recruit the same caliber of players. I, 
like Easton Stick is backed up Carson Wentz, and yeah. Stick he's is going to go to the NFL. He's going to go to the NFL. He's not going to be number one draft pick, but he's going to go to the NFL, and it's just yeah. like that's crazy. Yeah. But I mean, Alabama they won the championship last year, but the year before they lost to Deshaun Watson, right? And mm-hmm. Clemson. No. And that offense isn't, you know, they're. I just I, sometimes I wonder about that. Only time will tell because I think Rosie's a little more variety. But look what the hell fantasy's doing in Idaho State. Yeah. That is not the Grizz offense of all. No, definitely not. And I definitely think, not. I think in college, the more creative your offense is, the harder it is to scheme for. I just think that, you know, when, when Coach Huck was hired, he said he doesn't think the Big Sky has changed much. It's just that Montana's not on top. I don't buy that. Like, I, the Big Sky's always been a passing conference, but I think that in any given week, more teams have a chance to win with their dynamic offenses. Yeah. So I think it's going to be interesting to watch the next couple of years here. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Anything else useful? I have no other sports teams to bitch about. <laughs> no, I think I'm good. Good here. Good here. All right. If we uh, know you, we'll see you sooner. If not, we'll talk to you next week. Go Grizz. Fight on.